Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 143, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all are having a fantastic week. We are pushing through into the month of October. We're getting into, you know, the quarter point of the NFL season, which is the early deadline to declare yourself as a legitimate contender. Uh, who do we need to send a memo to this week? Well, probably the Raiders, who have a divisional game against the Broncos, but we'll talk about that when we get into the pick'em portion. But first, we're going to do this episode like we do every other. We're going to jump right in to my standout seven. And actually, we're not going to start with the bigger story, because I tend to think if you watch Thursday Night Football, and we're sitting recording this on Friday, just after it, uh, you tend to know where I'm going to go with, realistically, the biggest story in the NFL coming out of Thursday Night Football, and honestly, coming out of last weekend as well, it was on the top of the burner. We're going to talk about the Miami Dolphins, but more specifically, we're going to talk about Tua Tungavailoa. So, let's do what we got to do here. Let's break down the last two games for the Dolphins. Quite honestly, they got outplayed by Buffalo. Josh Allen skips a ball on fourth down that... I mean, it looked open. It looked like a play that he would make nine times out of ten, maybe eight times out of ten. Um, then you have the concluding sequence of the game. I believe it was McKenzie, Isaiah McKenzie, who had the ball, and he's just trying to make something happen instead of just going down and either winding up in super long field goal territory, I believe, or more realistically with Josh Allen, a QB, Hail Mary territory. Um there's a couple of takeaways from this one. And if you're a Dolphin fan and you're angry that I said you probably got outplayed by the Buffalo Bills, I mean it. Sorry, but, I mean, Tua goes for under 200 and you guys didn't even run for 50 yards. Um, the defense played pretty well, but it's not realistically like Josh Allen threw four interceptions or anything crazy. I mean, he goes 67% just about, I think right on the nose, 6666 on completion percentage, 400 yards, two touchdowns. What my takeaway is, uh, the same takeaway I had last year when I watched the Bills over and over, and it's that they have no semblance of a running game at all. And I understand we're in the modern NFL and running games don't matter as much, but I just, I can't say that with a straight face that a team can literally go full-on air raid college football style and be the team that's going to go and win the Super Bowl. I mean, look, we saw what they did to the Rams, right? That was This is the same Buffalo team. It hasn't even been a month. We saw what they did to Tennessee. They ran roughshod all over Tennessee. And when you're clicking and when you're gunning it and you're gunslinging everywhere, it works. It's, it's great, honestly, if you're a Bill fan, and it's why Josh Allen is a leading candidate for the NFL MVP. Though a lot of people would say right now it's Lamar Jackson. It's Tua prior to the injury, perhaps. Um, Too early to really have a realistic conversation about that for my money. We'll get into that as we get towards about week 9, maybe week 10, considering we're in a longer season. But it's got to be the midpoint before I realistically come out and pick an MVP. Like, MVP after three games is what? Who cares? I mean, the, the, the Chicago Bears and New York Giants have winning records. Do you think that will be the case at the end of the season? Let me know in the comments or on social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. I tend to think 
Your answer is going to be no and or some series of laughing, crying emojis, so I'll move on and assume that's what you said. Either way, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I say, Dolphin fan, because you guys held serve. You won your home portion of the home and home with the Buffalo Bills, the best team in your division, and that is an accomplishment. That was a darn good win. That is probably the biggest win the Dolphins had, well, since the week before. But realistically, arguably the declare-yourself win. Because the game against Baltimore, and while it was tremendous, I talked about it last week. If you missed the episode, you can flick back if you want, but it's tremendous. And if you watch it, you know how tremendous it was. Um, The fact of the matter is, going into that game, I picked Miami... Because I know for some reason Miami and Baltimore is a weird matchup that favors Miami. We had the game forever ago where Baltimore blew the doors off the Dolphins. And since then, as if there was bad juju floating around for running up the score, the Miami Dolphins just find a way against the Baltimore Ravens. It was the all-out blitz shenanigans forever ago, and then it was the Tua air raid massive comeback, this time in Baltimore. The reason I say, as I said, uh, it's a little bit of a tongue twister, uh, but the reason I say this is the biggest win in the Tua era, quote-unquote, is because Buffalo is that team everyone's picking to win the Super Bowl. Sure, there's a lot of people that love Baltimore, right? And the game was in Baltimore. Tremendous. But this is a Bills team, as I said before, that just punched the Rams, the defending champions, in the mouth, and then punched the Titans, a high AFC seed, in the mouth. Right? Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, takeaways from that game, like I said, Josh Allen should have made that throw. He knows he should have made that throw. The time running out, I'm not as bad on it as everyone thinks. The sequence pre-halftime with Allen bobbling the snap and time elapsing in field goal range, I mean, man, when you see it happen, you think, you know, everyone who knows anything about football just looks around each other and goes, oh, maybe that'll come back to bite him. That'll probably come back to bite Yeah, of course it will. That's That's football, right? It's, it's walking the guy to lead off the inning. You're opening the door to your own demise. Um, anyway, that's not why we were going to talk about the Dolphins, and everyone knows that. We're going to talk about the Dolphins because of what happened in that game late, I believe, in the first half. Tua Vailoa goes down, and he gets back up, and then he seems to get a little bit of a jelly leg going. And then I believe he either fell down or his teammate braced him and he, he caught himself. But I think he fell back to the turf. And watching that, as someone that watches a lot of combat sports, big UFC guy, not so much as boxing, but still, you've seen the jelly legs before. You know that something's not right with that person's equilibrium. Now, they say, okay, well, it was a back injury, or maybe it was a nerve impingement or some kind of a nerve thing. Where, oh, he just could, you know, the top half of his body was disconnected from the lower half of his body. Okay, when I hear the top half is disconnected from the bottom half, I think, wow, that guy just got his bell rung, huh? What happened? And the reason I say that is, they said that he was evaluated, he being Tua, was evaluated for a concussion, and there was no concussion, right? That's what I've heard out of Miami, Then, you know, the NFLPA said, oh, we're going to look into it because we don't really know what happened here. And then after the Thursday night game, there was Dr. Alan Sills said Tonga Vailoa was checked for concussion system symptoms, excuse me, every day of the week per NFL Network. 
Meanwhile, you have, you know, a pregame warning from Dr. Nowinski on the Dan Lebitard show, famously based in Florida, Miami. And he says, don't play him, he could die. Which obviously is very dramatic, but after what we saw happen to Tua on Thursday Night Football, it's it's an injury that I, I, I struggle to explain. I, obviously, I'm not medically inclined, but as someone that has two eyes, if I watch a fighter get punched in the face and knocked out, I know what happened. If I watch someone get kicked in the back of the leg and, oh, the nerve gave out, and you see what happened to his leg, I can understand it. I've watched the hit that took Tua out of that Thursday night football game multiple times, and I am still at a loss for words. And, um... I don't know. I don't know whether to give kudos or or what to Amazon for showing the shot of Tua's hands. I I don't know what happened there. I could tell you this much: I struggle to not doubt the fact that oh, it's just a back injury. That might be one of the most severe back injuries I've ever seen. Then, because I mean, he couldn't get up. Are we talking about a paralysis sort of injury? They said that there was a neck brace involved, and he was getting an MRI earlier today, per Josina Anderson. The first scans were negative. Well, do I believe those scans? And look, I'm not trying to be that guy, right? And it's a slippery slope, and I've danced down here before. It is a slippery slope, whether it be as a fan or as a, you know, quote-unquote journalist, and I will use the quote-unquotes. And most sports journalists started out as sports fans, which is not... A captain, ob- well, is very clearly a captain obvious thing to say. So, you can't necessarily doubt every diagnosis or say, oh, there's this and that. And if you're a baseball fan, you see it there, right? It's late in the season, and all of a sudden, this good starting pitcher, like Nestor Cortez with the Yankees. They said, oh, he had this, this relatively minor injury. He's got to go on the 15-day IL. And everybody's like, oh, that's just code for they don't want to use up his innings and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's just code for they want to give him a blow. Not everything can be code for something else. We can't treat every diagnosis that is made public as something that is, you know, shenanigans or it's a cover-up or it's this or that. But as someone that watched what happened to Tua, I really do hope the NFLPA has his best interest in mind, and I don't doubt that they do, and they get to the bottom of this because that looked dangerous. And I don't mean dangerous as in like, oh, you know coming back too soon from a hit or something like that, which of course appears to have happened. I mean literally dangerous in terms of the long-term quality of his life. Getting the jelly legs, getting your bell rung. I mean, they always say, oh, that's football, right? You see the, you ever see the uh, old intro to like CBS, NFL on CBS from like the 80s or something? I think it's either CBS or NBC. And half the hits that you see that are big hits are just blatant penalties nowadays. I mean, you look at some of the big hits from James Harrison's career. There's a reason the man was getting fined every other week. They're just blatantly not safe for the offensive player. And at the end of the day, they're pushing towards, they being the NFL, rightfully so, making the game safer and trying to keep the quality of play as high as you can while also keeping the health of the players at the forefront as best as they can, which is a, you know, a tricky spot, I imagine, The reason I bring this up is, I mean, like I said, we've seen guys get concussions, we've seen guys get carted off, we've seen broken legs, we've seen broken arms, dislocations, collarbones, this, that, and the third. I mean, if you've seen hockey highlights, teeth knocked out, 
broken noses, everything and anything. I mean, like I said, I'm a combat sports guy, so I've seen a lot of it. I don't know on the gridiron, the football field, if I've ever seen an injury that made me want them to go to commercial as much as this Tua Tonga-Vailoa on the turf in Cincinnati play. And I'm I'm thankful, and this is a minor note, minor footnote, I'm thankful the crowd was not booing or anything weird, because you see that sometimes when there's an injury, it's like they're booing or they're cheering or whatever, just, it was silence and then cheering for Tua, I thought it was, I don't even know. I don't know what they showed on the Jumbotron, I wonder if the people at that game went home and said, oh my goodness, what did we just witness in person? Because, like I said, you've seen knockouts in other sports where you'll see some convulsing or you'll see some shaking or some severe confusion, obviously. It's a combat sport. You're trying to knock the other person out. You're trying to do damage to the other person. That's not really what you're here for in football, and I don't know if I've seen anything like it. And I I don't even have any kind of a theory as to when we will see Tua again on the football field. And quite honestly... I'm completely fine with that. The fact of the matter is there was three days between games and clearly something was not on the up and up. I will say that. Am I suggesting the Miami Dolphins don't have Tua's best interest at heart? Not necessarily, but I'm suggesting that they really, really wanted to win that game, I guess. Because to say that the first hit and or, you know, injury didn't have any kind of an impact on that second one, I mean, I don't know if I, I'd necessarily believe that with that quick of a turnaround. Pivoting into the football part of it, um, how did Miami look without Tua? They didn't look that bad. Teddy Bridgewater looked okay. I mean, I'm a Teddy Bridgewater fan. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that. If not, welcome aboard. But yeah, I'm a Teddy Bridgewater guy. So it didn't shock me that Teddy looked pretty good. Um, clearly there would be some issues with some chemistry and things like that, but they can get that down with reps if they need it. I think to a, I don't even know, man. I think this might be one of those things that takes quite some time to recover from. I've heard some people say you might ever, might never see him again on the football field. I don't know enough about the situation to say that, but I'll say this. We've seen a lot of guys retire young in relatively recent memory. It would not shock me if that idea didn't rattle around the brains of the uh, family of Tua, saying, you know, hey, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we get out after the first contract. You know, you, you got a long life ahead of you. You could still do a heck of a lot. Is that something you want as a football player? Obviously not. Is that something you want to think as a twenty-something-year-old man? I just had an injury that might impact my life. Of course not. Speaking as one directly um as i said trying to get back to the field as best we can um cincinnati looked all right joe burrow looked okay jamar chase was quiet for the bulk of the game t higgins played great um this would have been an interesting game had Tua stayed out there we're talking about a 14 to 12 game at half miami only puts up three in the second half due in part to the fact that it's Teddy bridgewater back there and you know Teddy's trying to get his feet under him, so to speak, here. Um, I believe they also had the blocked field goal. Yeah, Miami had their field goal blocked. Would have made it a little bit of a different game. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. The the big thing, also towards the tail end of this, you had the miscommunication between Bridgewater and Gesicki for the Von Bell interception, and that really was the uh, nail in the coffin, and that's, like I said, that's something that'll come with time. Do I still think the Miami Dolphins can be a playoff team with Teddy Bridgewater? Yeah, I, I actually do. And uh, I've liked what I've seen out of Mike McDaniel as a coach, notwithstanding the fact that he let his star quarterback go out there in a peculiar situation like this. Though we've seen it from other coaches, and we'll get to the L.A. Chargers later. Um, number two in the standout seven, let's go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum here. Well, for the most part, in terms of good news versus bad news, let's talk about Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. A lot is really being made about Lamar's play, and I'm, I'm glad for his sake. I mean, he's got, through three games, 750 yards, which is pretty darn good. He's pacing for, what is that? 17 times 250, over 4,000 yards passing, which is a pretty good year. Um, he's got 10 touchdowns through the air, just two interceptions. And he's also, oh, by the way, got 240 yards on the ground with two touchdowns. The guy's playing out of his mind. I floated the question a few weeks ago, if you go back through the episode log here, will Lamar Jackson have an Aaron Judge-esque season in his contract year. That was my week one topic. Not like, you know, it's breaking news that a star quarterback's going to play well in a contract season, but I'm just saying I put it out there. So what does that look like? And that's something we struggled with in that episode, and I implore you to go back to that episode and listen to the full breakdown of that. Um, what it looks like right now for the Baltimore Ravens is they're the best team in that division. I'm not saying Cincinnati is a bad football team, but Cincinnati has had some hiccups to start the year. Cleveland, obviously, is doing their best with their backup QB in. Um, and then you have Pittsburgh, who, I don't know. I think we'll see Pickett sooner rather than later, put it that way. But this Baltimore team is a legit contender, as we all knew they would be. But it's it's been nice to see Lamar Jackson, especially as a guy. And look, I've heard it throughout the years. I think there was probably at some point when I was talking about it with their offense being so tuned around him running the football saying, Hey, can he do it as a passer? Can he do this? Can he do that? Is he the best passer in the NFL? No. Would I call him a top five passer of the football in the NFL? Maybe not top 10. We can have a conversation. And when you're the number one mobile quarterback, the fact that I can put you in the top 10 as a passer as well as the top one as a runner means that you are an elite level threat at all times, which we already knew going in. But it's still worth noting the guy's playing darn well. Enough that we had to put him this high in the standout seven because there's a good amount going on out there in Baltimore. Number three, let's get into the bigger story. First of the three piece Two Super Bowl contenders here. Bigger story, the Chiefs losing to the Colts or the Buffalo Bills losing to the Dolphins, as we discussed before. So let's start there since we kind of already started there. Um, Buffalo played pretty darn well. A lot is being made, and I think a little bit rightfully so, a little bit people making excuses for a team that they think is going to be a legit contender. And it's a little early in the year to lose a divisional game to a Miami team that looked really impressive against Baltimore and didn't look at their best against Buffalo, but they looked pretty good. Um, the reason my answer is not going to be Buffalo is this. Before I even get into Kansas City, I think there may be a little bit in there. 
Because when you're playing in the playoffs, it's definitely not going to be 90 degrees field temperature. It's definitely not going to be a situation where you've got sweaty... Well, there might be sweaty palms in the playoffs. Look at Tony Romo. Um, You're not going to have a sweaty palm QB bobbling the snap of a spike before halftime, which gave me major Kirk Cousins when he was still on the then-Washington Redskins vibes. If I remember correctly, he was playing the Eagles, and he instead of spiking the ball, took a knee. You know, he had a 50-50 to be right, and he just so happened to lose the coin toss. Uh, All-time NFL moment there. And uh, this one, it may not be all-time, depending on how this year goes, but it's going to stick in the back of my head for quite some time. So here's the reason it's Kansas City. Buffalo loses on the road to a division rival that's probably the second-best team in their division. Okay, you know, you don't have to go 17-0 to win your division, nor do you have to go 17-0 to win the AFC. People hype them up, hype them up, hype them up. You can lose ball games. The reason it's Kansas City for me is because Kansas City got out to the early momentum of beating the LA Chargers and beating down the Arizona Cardinals, only to go on the road in a very winnable game against a Colts team that has stumbled out of the gate... Is that a horse pun unintentionally? Stumbled out of the gate, right? They go out there. Patrick Mahomes goes 20 for 35, 262, a touchdown and a pick. Best game, I believe, so far of Juju Smith-Schuster's career as a chief. We have Travis Kelsey with a pretty big drop in this game, which you just, I mean, you just never see. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong, Chief fan. I can't think of another time that happened. Um... Not to mention, early in this game, there's a muffed punt that set up Indy right away, right? I don't know. You have the whole thing before halftime, a little more bubbling drama, like that we were talking about at the end of last season, between Enemy and Mahomes. They were talking about, do we want to go? Do we want to try and drive down the field? We have timeouts. And then, supposedly, Andy Reid said, well, I made the call not to, so it's my call, yada, yada, yada. Um, man, I don't know. It was... It was 17-13, and I think at one point there was a missed face pa- face mask call. Excuse me. Um, and then Kansas City went on to kick the field goal, and they missed the field goal, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he goes one for two in this game, Amendola. And that's a huge swing. Because we're talking about 17-13. If the field goal's made, it's 20-13. Obviously, this game ended 20-17. Indy on top. Score the touchdown on that drive, perhaps 23-13. Indy had a great last drive, one of those drives that I think should bring them quite a bit of momentum going into a huge matchup this week with Tennessee at home. Um, We'll see how that one plays out. We'll get into that later in the pick'em portion. As I said, the bigger loss has to be Kansas City because, one, they're playing the weaker opponent with less momentum. They are coming in... On fire, right? A lot of people... At the beginning of the year, I was humming and hawing over whether I thought this Kansas City team would make the postseason. Is that a reach by me? Perhaps, considering the Raiders are sitting at 0-3. But neither neither here nor there. They come out, they punch the Chargers in the face, Justin Herbert gets hurt, all of a sudden, boom. Combo that with the Raiders looking like they look, in terms of zero wins. Combo that with the Broncos' offense looking awful. Okay. Now we got a chance to run away with a division that I didn't even know if you could win. Alrighty. To go out there 
and lose this game to Indy, which who knows if it'll wind up having tiebreaker implications because Indy's got a tie. So the whole thing is weird, right? So Chiefs are 2-1, and one, but Indy's really like 1.5, one 1.5. It's going to come down to a weird spot. Um, either way, bigger loss, certainly Kansas City. Number four, let's get positive. Bigger win this week. The Dallas Cowboys with a backup QB on the road in primetime against the Giants. Or the LA Rams on the road against division rival Arizona Cardinals. Let's start with Dallas. Was I super impressed with the Dallas Cowboys offense? No. However, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott look like the two-headed backfield that I expected them to be. You know, the New York Giants defense played pretty well, all things considered, in the first two weeks, and they didn't play awful in this game. I mean, they give up 23 to the team that usually is the best team in this division, but with Dak out, I would say is second best, maybe second best all along. Um, Either way, you give up 23, it's really not a recipe for a, a guaranteed loss. You know, it is a recipe for a guaranteed loss. Your starting quarterback going 20 to 37 not clearing 200 yards. Uh, the interception, I'll give them the pass on because the receiver slipped at the end of the game there. They were in this game till the bitter end, uh, the bitter end where their leading receiver, Sterling Shepard, who had five catches for 49 yards, winds up pulling up lame. Obviously, it has been revealed that it was a torn ACL sustained on that, which is a rough one. Odell Beckham immediately talking about the turf and how it should be real grass and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that. I don't know too much about that. Uh, perhaps there's a point there because there are a lot of non-contact injuries in the NFL. Can you get around that? Are there not as many non-contact injuries in the soccer world, which was what was being alluded to with just having real grass? I'm not really sure. I I don't know enough about football. I'm more of a football kind of guy. So if you guys know, let me know in the comments or on social media, all social media, like I always say, open to a discourse here because you can't know everything, right? Um... Either way, this was a big win for Dallas because this was a pretty losable game, if we're being honest. Before halftime, you have, I believe it was CeeDee Lamb straight up dropping a ball that would have put them in the red zone, that really would have put them in a good spot. They only score six points in the entire first half against the New York Giants. Um, I mean, they gave up over 150 on the ground, but they had 200 of their own. No, excuse me. They had a buck 75 of their own, so... That's really the kind of game it was. This game was plucked out of 1987 in terms of run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and the passing games just didn't really keep up as much. A decent win for Dallas, but if we're being completely honest, a game that they probably should win. They're the Dallas Cowboys, and the New York Giants are not exactly the best team in the league. The other side of the coin here, are the L.A. Rams going to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. And this Rams team is a little odd to me. They get out in front in this one, 10-0 in the first quarter, and you're thinking, wow, this Cardinals team is going to get punched in the mouth again. It's going to happen to them again. They're going to give up another 40 bomb, and that just didn't happen. What happened was Matt Stafford throwing for just a hair under 250. I mean, the Rams running game was decent. It was about 100 yards. You know, uh, it was the Rams' defense doing their job. Kyler Murray drops back in this game 58 times. Excuse me, that's not including the sacks. He attempts 58 passes. I believe he dropped back 59, maybe even 60 times. 
That is not a recipe for success if you're the Arizona Cardinals. Particularly considering, as I keep mentioning, they do not have their true number one receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know if it's an aversion to using Kyler in a running sort of scheme. I don't know if it's an aversion to... Man, you know, I don't have much out of that one. Because when you look at their game against the Raiders the week previously, excuse me, that's what helped them come back and win the game. It was Kyler extending play, extending the play, extending the play, and then scrambling for five yards, or scrambling for nine, or extend the play, extend the play, extend the play. Somebody finally breaks open. They don't have a supreme amount of talent in the receiving core right now. Hollywood Brown had 14 for 140. Darn good game out of him. Greg Dortch had nine catches for 80 yards. If you showed me five pictures of people, and all of them were Greg Dortch with different hairstyles, I would not be able to tell you which one was Greg Dortch. I mean, Zach Ertz, 6 for 45. Zach Ertz has still got some left in the tank, but can you really rely on Zach Ertz as, what, your number two option? Um, I get that running against this Rams front is hard, but that's part of the reason I I said maybe if they wanted to win this one, which would have been hard, I get it, it might have been with a little bit of an option play or, you know, extending the play here, doing this and that there. Look, I know Aaron Donald's a freak athlete and the Rams defense is coached pretty well, but, I mean, come on. I think the bigger win's got to be the Rams, considering when this Cardinals team was whole last year, they were one of the best teams in the league, and the New York Giants, I mean, I, I couldn't say that about them for the better part of a decade, if not longer. Number five in the standout seven. Bigger win. The Carolina Panthers taking care of business at home against the New Orleans Saints, getting in the win column. Or the Tennessee Titans taking care of business at home and getting in the win column with a win over the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, let's start with Carolina. I... I was high on this team at the beginning of the year. Look, I'm not jumping off the bandwagon yet. I'm just saying I'm letting my feet hang off the side. I'm, I'm looking at soft landing spots on the side of the road. I'm not trying to completely get out. I still, th- I still see the talent there. But, I mean, Baker Mayfield goes 12-25 for a buck 70. I mean, look, this is a defense that played pretty well against Brady, so maybe, maybe it's just the Saints defense being pretty good, right? Right, guys? That could be possible. Well, when you tell me that, and then I look at the fact that the Panthers are playing the Cardinals this week, something's got to give. Christian McCaffrey looked good. There's reports that he may not go this week. We'll talk full injury reports later in the pick'em portion, but he missed practice a few days. If he's out, then I'm out on this team. It's just the way it is. When their lead dog goes down, I cannot pick them as a reliable contender, and I thought they were a decent Playoff contender. You know, I mean, your leading wideout is LaVisca Chenault for 90 yards. A guy that was, you know, pretty much cast away by the Jacksonville Jaguars. A team that kind of needs talent. Um, You look at it from New Orleans' perspective, it's Jameis Winston playing through back injuries, right? Like, that's something that you don't really do is play through back fractures, full-on Mike Tyson. I broke my back. Mike, what part of your back? Spinal. Like, that's just not something that you can even say. Um, Considering he's playing through the injuries, he didn't play that bad. I mean, he throws two picks, and that's probably the difference in this game. 
He goes for 350 and a touchdown. Big game for Chris Olave, the rookie. Big game for Traquan Smith. Mike Thomas chipped in a little. I think he's nicked up again. Um, it's nice for Carolina fans to see them get on the right side of the scoreboard, but realistically, as I said, it's a game they should have won. Um, Raiders-Titans. Titans win's got to be the bigger one. And the reason I say that is, as weird as it's... Is their division up for grabs? Because Jacksonville walks away with a win this past week, right? And Houston has looked decent. The Colts have looked beatable. The Titans have looked beatable. So is this a division that is completely up for grabs? Well, if that's the case, you need to win as many darn games as you can, and you don't want to start back at 0-3. Let's talk about the Raiders for a second. Derek Carr, 303, two touchdowns and a pick. I heard during, I believe it was either one of the broadcasts or maybe in a halftime segment for the game, what if Derek Carr just needs a change of scenery? And it's possible. Do I think it's likely or necessary? Not really, but I can understand why the question would be asked. However, you should have asked that question prior to the team dumping the boatload of money on Devontae Adams. Granted, Devontae will be great with any QB, I tend to think, but one of the things that brings in Devontae Adams is his relationship with Derek Carr. So presumably Derek will be your guy, or is going to be a leading candidate to be your guy, for at least most of the duration of Devontae's contract. Otherwise, why did he come here? This would have been the Mac Hollins game if the Raiders would have come back to win because Mac Hollins, I, I mean, I've seen him here and there, but he was playing like a man possessed. And if he's going to play like that the rest of the year, this Raiders team is going to turn around because that Mac Hollins with Devontae Adams and Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs chipping in out of the backfield, catching a few balls and running the ball, that's a really good offense. Um, Unfortunately for the Raiders, it didn't amount to a win. Again. Again. Um, I don't know. I wasn't really impressed with the two-point conversion play call for the Raiders either. I thought it had to be just get the ball to Mac Hollins and let him work. And if, if he doesn't get it done, he doesn't get it done. But that's okay. Um, from the Titans' perspective, Derrick Henley looked pretty good. Ryan Tannehill looked all right. Robert Woods looked pretty good. I still think he's a good number two, not a great number one, but you make do with what you got. And while the defense almost let up a comeback, there's a reason I'm saying almost. They didn't make it all the way back, you know. And the fact of the matter is Tennessee's offense was shut out in the second half, and that's part of the issue. You know what I mean? It comes down to a two-point conversion play um, that realistically probably should not have been the deciding factor considering they were up 24 to 10 on the Raiders at halftime bigger story got to be Tennessee division that's pretty much up for grabs game that they almost collapsed away got to be them number six in the standout seven or maybe for this one we should change it to the snoozer seven let's talk Sunday night football what hasn't been said already what jokes have not been made? Oh, well, you know, coming up in the bottom of the ninth, Russell Wilson batting leadoff for the Broncos. Oh, they're only down 7-5. to five. Yeah, 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 I get it. Um, this game was rough. Uh, Javante Williams looked all right. I mean, the, the Broncos running backs, I think they have, what, three lost fumbles in three games? Three or four, maybe? Um, no bueno. 
no bueno whatsoever. Uh, this is a good running back tandem, in my opinion. I mean, they're not Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but like, and, and who knows? Maybe right now, I guess they're not even Pollard and Zeke. But I thought Javante Williams was like a rising star, and Melvin Gordon is a good vet. It, it gave off like Kamara Ingram vibes, right? Uh, not so much. I mean, Cortland Sutton looked pretty good at receiver. Jerry Judy didn't get involved nearly as much as I thought he would. Um, Denver walks away with a win, but I mean, the, the only the only person that that really I don't know. They're the only ones that walk away with a win because San Francisco takes the L on this one, as do the fans. It, it didn't look great. J- Jimmy G pulls the, you know, walking the tightrope in the back of the end zone and then throws a pick six just to compound, like, the inordinate amount of incompetent QB play in one play. That might be the single worst quarterbacking play in the history of the San Francisco 49ers. This is a team that has had Joe Montana, Hall of Famer, Steve Young, Hall of Famer, the resurgence of Alex Smith, former, I believe he was a pro bowler, if not Super Bowl starter, Colin Kaepernick, and Jimmy G has played decent in his time in San Francisco. I mean, Trent Dilfer was all right there, too. Like, I think that might be one of the worst... I don't know if you guys remember when they had sports bloopers, VHS tapes, and or DVDs, depending on how old you are. Probably on YouTube, too. This would be the leading play. This is a primetime NFL game with a quarterback that has started a Super Bowl, who almost won a Super Bowl, and he pulls an Orlovsky and walks out of the end zone, and then to compound it, says, oh no, I gotta throw it, and throws a pick six to, I think it would have been Bradley Chubb, who's a pass rusher. It's not even like a guy that's... It's not like he threw the pick six to, like, PS2, to Sertan. Like, no, he threw it to Chubb, and I'm not saying Chubb doesn't have hands, but, like... What are we doing? What are we doing, Niner fan? Uh, this game was bad. Um, that's my takeaway. Jeffrey Wilson looked good. There you go. There's my takeaway. Debo Samuel looked all right. Does this make me, you know, think the Niners are wrought for doom for their season? No. Does this make me think that, oh, the Broncos are turning it around? No. Um, I said it before. Russell Wilson already had time on his contract. They didn't have to give him $240-plus immediately, but they did, and let's see what happens. I mean, you have Eli Manning saying on the Manning cast, oh, they should have gave the money to the punter, and then Russell Wilson goes at his press conference, or his media availability, rather, and talks about how he's undefeated against Chad Powers, a.k.a. Eli Manning, to which almost everybody said, ha, ah, good zinger, but who beat Brady in the Super Bowl? Anyway... We don't need to go there, but uh, this game was bad. But we do have to talk about all the primetime games. That is our tradition. So uh, that's number six. Number seven in the standout seven. Quick little news and notes roundup before we get into the pick'em portion. Um, Sammy Watkins to the injured reserve for Green Bay. He was supposed to be their leading receiver. Here we are. Uh, Zach Wilson, due back. He was cleared to return this week. Taylor Lewan. Of the Tennessee Titans, which is a massive injury on their offensive line. He is done for the season. Micah Hyde of the Buffalo Bills, also done for the year. Another reason, and I forgot to mention it before, I was not super keen on crowning the Miami Dolphins. 
is the Buffalo Bills were still trying to work out schematically how they're going to run that defensive backfield without Micah Hyde. And oh, by the way, Poyer did not end up going in that one either. Kind of a big one, and they still only gave up like 200 passing yards. Um, Reports saying that Dak Prescott may be back next week. We'll find out. I mean, this is the quickest turnaround for an injury. They were saying six to eight. Well, it's not even week six, and he got hurt in week one. Um, Joey Bosa of the Chargers to IR, as well as Rayshon Slater, their starting tackle. I believe left tackle out for the season. Miles Garrett was hospitalized. He had a car accident. We wish him the best. Early reports said there was no intoxication involved. I guess it was maybe a spin-out or something of that sort. Uh, Nobody was injured other than him, thankfully. Uh, Mac Jones reportedly with a high ankle sprain. There may be surgery necessary for the Mac attack in New England. It's weird that this comes right after a game where he looked abnormally mobile, but I guess that's football for you. Um, As of now, and this is Friday evening, Tampa Bay, Kansas City will go on in Tampa Bay as previously scheduled. No moving necessary, so interesting. We'll see. To everyone down there in Florida dealing with the hurricane, we wish you nothing but the best. Stay safe out there, you know. Thank you for joining us. I'm sure you have plenty more on your mind. I hope I can give you a little bit of a distraction during these trying times, as we try to do. Um, yeah, and one more thing, folks. We called this many off-seasons ago, I think, and we're not the only one. The NFL Pro Bowl game is dead. It is deceased. It is buried. It will not be played this upcoming off-season. Or maybe it will be. Maybe it'll be the final one. But my understanding is it is gone. It's going to be replaced by skill games and shenanigans. And they're going to all play Pictionary. And then who's the NFL Scrabble champion? My guess would be Tua Tonga-Vailoa, just based off of the last name length. I mean, probably got some some triple word scores you can get in there for that one. But uh, no, you know, in all seriousness, it's it was about time. Because... You look at the NBA All-Star game, the game itself is probably the worst part of the weekend. The Rising Stars game is more entertaining. The three-point challenge is more entertaining. The dunk contest, barring a few that we've had more recently, is usually the highlight of the weekend. You look at the Major League Baseball All-Star game, it's kind of fun, but more people are really interested in the Home Run Derby. You look baseball in other countries, they do bunting contests, they do catchers throwing to second base through bullseyes. I mean, a lot of cool stuff you could do. Um, I hope for the NFL's sake they come up with something relatively interesting that is at least loosely tied to football to throw into these skills events because just having, oh, look, it's the passing challenge. Okay, it's kind of neat. Or, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to do, like, spoon with egg races? Like, what are we going to do here in terms of football? Are we going to bring back the bench press? There's going to be a bunch of dudes in Hawaiian shirts when they go back to Hawaii just bench pressing for fun. Are they going to be bench pressing... You know, buckets of coconuts, keep it topical, at least make it kind of funny. Are they going to play tag? I don't know. I mean, the dodgeball doesn't do it for me. And you knew this rant was coming. I'll probably throw this in the description, you know what I mean? Because it's one of those things that you knew I had to mention because I am such a huge fan of the Pro Bowl. Um, Yeah, it's, it's about damn time to use the LeBron James line. That'll bring us to the end of the Standout 7 and get us into my favorite part, your favorite part of each and every episode. The Pick'em portion of episode number 143. We're coming off an 8-8 eight eight week, and I, I struggled with this. 
Because if you remember, and if you don't, you could look back. It's still up there. We don't take any of them down. I said the Chargers game had an asterisk on it. Now, Justin Herbert went out there and did not look like Justin Herbert. And I said, if he didn't look like himself and or, this is my memory, I know I said explicitly if he didn't play, I would switch to the Jags. But I did not give myself a win because Herbert technically played. He did not look great. The offense didn't look good. Slater goes down. Bosa goes down. The wheels were falling off. But the Jacksonville Jaguars pulled out a win. I could make an argument that I should be 9-7 and seven last week, but we'll go 8-8. Eight and eight. We'll keep it kosher, and we'll look for our first winning record of the season here in week number four. And we're going to do that. Getting started by going over to the United Kingdom. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is the location for the Minnesota Vikings playing at the New Orleans Saints. 9.30 a.m. on NFL Network or NFL Plus if you are inclined. The Vikings listing just two. Cornerback Andrew Booth Jr. doubtful with a quad. And linebacker Zadarius Smith, pass rusher formerly of the Packers. Questionable with a knee injury. For the Saints, three big ones. They are without wide receiver Michael Thomas with a foot injury. They are without guard Andrews Pete with a concussion. And they are without safety Marcus May with a rib injury. Doubtful Jameis Winston, who was supposed to practice, I believe, yesterday, but didn't. Which is intriguing. Uh, with the back injury as well as an ankle injury. Questionable wide receiver Jarvis Landry with an ankle. And running back Alvin Kamara with a rib. There's no way I can pick the Saints in this game. I just can't do it. How could I reasonably pick a team that is without their best receiver, without a starting lineman, without a starting safety, potentially without their quarterback, potentially without their second best receiver, and potentially without their lead running back? I mean, I know it's Kirk Cousins, and we like to joke around, and ha ha ha, but like, no, in all seriousness, it's got to be the Saints, right? Heading back stateside, where football is played proper, uh, we'll start our 1 o'clock window with a battle between the Seattle Seahawks and the Detroit Lions, two of the pluckier upstart teams we could talk about in the league right now. The Seahawks listing just two on their injury report, both in the defensive backfield. Doubtful corner Justin Coleman with a calf, and questionable safety Joey Blunt with a hammy. Lions, some huge ones here. Running back DeAndre Swift is out with an ankle and a shoulder injury. Amon Ross St. Brown is out. O-lineman Jonah Jackson is out. John Kaminsky on the D-line is out. And their kicker, Austin Seibert, is out as well. Also questionable, DJ Chark and Josh Reynolds, both at receiver, both with ankle injuries. I will be completely transparent with you as I am inclined to be on a weekly basis. This is a game that I assumed going in before I did my little research here that I would be picking Detroit. I, I mean, why wouldn't I? Detroit's looked so decent and so, you know, good enough that they should be able to beat a Seahawks team that couldn't beat the Falcons, right? In the hierarchy of mediocre to bad teams, I thought it was, you know, Detroit Lions, Falcons nipping at the heels, and then the Seahawks. But, you know, looking at this injury report, I am inclined to pick Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks to win on the road. Um, as shocking and as jarring as that might be, unfortunately, that's the way it's going to go, folks. Give me Seattle on the road. 
And now that I said that, by the way, I'll put my no asterisk on this one, but we just know. We just know that Jared Goff's going to go for like 325. TJ Hawkinson's going to score three touchdowns. Something weird, right? Our next game is a old, old, old playoff rematch from the Rex Ryan days as Zach Wilson returns to lead the New York Jets to not Heinz Field to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the Jets going to be without linebacker Quincy Williams with an ankle injury and questionable corner Brandon Eccles with a hammy. Steelers listing just one, Aquilo Witherspoon with a hamstring injury. There's no designation on the NFL.com injury report. He's just there. So we made note of it. We'll keep an eye out for you, Witherspoon. Um, either way, I really wish this was a Pickett versus Wilson game because that would have a little bit more spice. As is, I'm still going to take Pittsburgh to win this one at home. Next, the other New York football team plays host in New Jersey to the Chicago Bears. The Bears going to be without their starting running back in this one. David Montgomery with an ankle and a knee will miss this game. Also, two DBs, Dane Cruikshank and Jalen Johnson, going to miss this one for the Monsters of the Midway. Doubtful, tight end Ryan Griffin with an Achilles, linebacker Matt Adams with a hammy, questionable wide receiver Vellis Jones Jr., D-lineman Robert Quinn with an illness, and Cairo Santos as well. The Giants are going to be without some brand names here, however. Two wide receivers, both first-round picks in back-to-back years. Kadarius Toney with a hammy and Wandale Robinson with a knee. Also going to be missing Leonard Williams, one of their highest-paid players on defense on the D-line with a knee. And two corners, Cordell Flott and Nick McLeod with a calf and a hamstring, respectively. This feels like a game the New York Giants should win. And for that reason, usually, they do not. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet on the Giants here. I'm going to pick them two weeks in a row. If they go to 2-2, two and two, complete flip-flopping on me, it would be very on-brand. And the reason I'm taking the Giants here is because I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if the Bears coaching staff doesn't have confidence in Justin Fields. I don't know if they look around their locker room and say, we didn't really get this kid enough talented wideouts, so we're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. But without your lead back, and look, Khalil Herbert looked pretty decent, but I don't know if I'm confident he can tote the rock against this Giants team like Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott did, because I don't think he's running behind an offensive line that is the caliber of the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. And for that reason, I'm taking the Giants to win at home. Next, we have the AFC South matchup we were talking about before, which may be the game of the 1 o'clock window. The Titans, heading to Indy, will be without linebacker Zach Cunningham with an elbow, DB Hugo Umadi with an ankle, and safety Amani Hooker with a concussion. Questionable, two wide receivers, Kyle Phillips and Cody Hollister, as well as linebacker Ola Adeniyi and corner Roger McCreary. Colts going to be without safety. Julian Blackman with an ankle injury. Also dealing with three on the questionable side. Offensive lineman Bernard Raymond with an ankle. D-lineman DeForest Buckner. Big one considering they're facing Derrick Henry here with an elbow. And Shaq Leonard with a back. I don't know, folks. I have not really been impressed by either of these teams. Um, Buckner not being there makes it a little spicy up front for Indy. Might have to commit a little bit more to stopping the run. Maybe we'll see a little bit more out of 
Robert Woods and the guys that are filling in this receiving core in the post-A.J. Brown-Julio experiment that didn't work so well. Um, either way, I'm going to wind up taking the Indianapolis Colts to win this one, mostly just because they're at home. I think that might play into this, if I'm being completely honest. Is it the best home field advantage in the NFL? Maybe not, but I think it might be enough considering beating Kansas City, a Super Bowl caliber team, you know, too many people. Like I said, I, I was struggling with maybe picking them to miss the playoffs. A lot of people saying this is still the same Kansas City Chiefs. Don't mind Tyreek Hill missing. Okay, if that's the case, then you've got all the momentum in the world. The Titans scrape by on the Raiders. Who's going to be able to coach them up and get them more excited to go this week? I don't know. Let's find out. I'm banking on Indy at home. Next, we've got a weird one. And I say that because I'm almost certain to pick this game incorrectly. The L.A. Chargers head to Houston to take on the 0-2-1 Texans. Chargers going to be without wide receiver Keenan Allen with a hammy. Questionable, two more on the offensive side. Donald Parham, tight end, also with a hammy. And center Corey Lindsley with a knee. Texans going to be without two on the offensive side as well. Tight end Brevin Jordan with an ankle, as well as offensive lineman Austin DeCoulis with an ankle. Questionable, tight end Farrell Brown. D-lineman Kurt Heinisch. Linebacker Jalen Reeves-Mabin, and DB, former Giant, I believe, Isaac Yadam. The reason I say this is a trap game for me is because after last week, evidently, it's not a trap game for the L.A. Chargers. They can't look past this game because they just lost to the Jaguars. All right, well, realistically, they should come out to play then. But if the same team that lost to the Jaguars shows up to this game... They're going to lose to Davis Mills in the house that Schaub built. I'm going to take the Chargers, but this is just as tentative as last week, if not more so. Next, the Atlanta Falcons play host to the Cleveland Browns, keeping it in the 1 o'clock window. The Browns going to be without offensive lineman Joe Haig with a concussion and defensive lineman Taven Bryan with a hammy. Two huge ones, questionable on the D-line. The aforementioned Miles Garrett, who, as we said, is coming off of a scary situation with a, a vehicle injury. Um, and Jadavion Clowney, uh, obviously not from the same injury. Uh, Falcons, one listed as questionable, but it's a huge one. They're running back Cordero Patterson. With a knee injury, as I say every week, kudos to him for really revitalizing his career. However, I'm going to take Cleveland in this one. I think their running game's too good. I think their defense is too good. I think they bring this one home on the road. Cowboys keeping it in style with another divisional matchup as they play host to the Washington Commanders this week. The Commanders going to be without offensive lineman Wes Schweitzer with a concussion and questionable left tackle Charles Leno with a shoulder injury. Dak Prescott, we talked about when he's coming back. He is not coming back this week. He's explicitly listed as out for this game. Questionable, tight end Dalton Schultz with a knee, guard Connor McGovern with an ankle, and safety Jaron Curse with a knee as well. The commanders looked awful last week. I, I tend to think they are better than they were in that game. They're closer to the team that went blow for blow with the Jaguars and went blow for blow with the Lions. I think Philly's just that much better than them. Um, that being said, I think Dallas is better than them too. 
Maybe they'll keep it close. Maybe, maybe Terry McLaurin will have a huge game. I don't know. I can't realistically rely on Carson Wentz in Jerry World. I, I, Micah Parsons probably sacks him three times, and he throws a pick to Diggs, if we're being honest. Give me the Cowboys to win this one at home. Next, speaking of the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles play host to the aforementioned Jacksonville Jaguars this week, coming in at 2-1, and one, I might add. For the Jaguars injury report, just players listed as questionable. Wide receiver Zay Jones with an ankle, offensive lineman Cole Van Lannon with a hammy, Calevon Chason with an ankle, who really hasn't taken off to the level I thought he would as an NFL pass rusher slash linebacker. Uh, and corner Shaq Griffin with a hip. The Eagles going to be without two. Avante Maddox on the defensive side and Boston Scott on the offensive side. Philly should win this one. Right now, you can make the argument Philly is the best team in the NFC. If you're feeling particularly bold and spicy like my barbecue sauce, you could argue they are the best team in the NFL right now. Philly wins this one at home. Our final 1 o'clock game is, oh, you know, just a game you might you might sleep through. You know, it's, it's just the Buffalo Bills heading to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Oh, well, I mean, maybe I'll flip it on for a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, long injury report this week for the Bills, however. Jake Kumaro going to miss this one with an ankle. D-lineman Jordan Phillips with a hammy and corner Christian Benford with a hand. Questionable, Gabe Davis with an ankle. Tight end Dawson Knox with a back and hip injury. On the offensive line, Mitch Morse with an elbow and Justin Murray with a foot. On the defensive side, Ed Oliver with an ankle. Corner Dane Jackson with a neck. And safety Jordan Poyer with a foot injury. For the Ravens, two listed as doubtful. Patrick McCarry on the O-line with an ankle. And linebacker Justin Houston with a groin injury. Questionable left tackle Ronnie Stanley also with an ankle. If Stanley doesn't go... Look out for Von Miller in this one. It's going to be pretty fun to watch him try and pin down Lamar Jackson. That's athleticism versus veteran wit and more athleticism. Um, who am I going to take in this one? Honestly, I think I'm going to take Buffalo. Baltimore looked darn good against the New England Patriots. I recognize that. This is their first game back at home since blowing that game against Miami. I recognize that. I think they took their momentum from that bad loss, and they're going to push into a good year here. But I think the momentum that comes from an awful loss can carry you through one game. After that, it's going to come back down to skill level, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, sometimes it can motivate a team for a month. It can motivate them forever. I don't know. But the way I'm looking at this game is Buffalo, especially offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, as we famously know, is going to be so frustrated at how that game played out down in Miami that it's going to be time for them to go out and actually, you know, put down another one of those. I don't know if they're going to go for a smackdown like they did against the Rams. I think this will be a tight game. I think Baltimore reasonably can win this game by playing ball control. Um, will Buffalo run the football? Will they be able to run the football? Or will it just be them airing it out? Because eventually Marcus Peters may pick off Josh Allen, and then my pick will be all for naught. However, till that happens... Give me Buffalo, bouncing back on the road. Next, our only 4.05 kick is Kyler Murray leading the Cardinals into Bakersfield. No, wait, that's not right. Carolina to take on the Panthers. 
Cardinals going to be without wide receiver A.J. Green, D-lineman Rashard Lawrence, and linebacker Ezekiel Turner. Questionable, two more wide receivers, Rondell Moore and Hollywood Brown. Offensive lineman Rodney Hudson as well. And on the defensive side, Zabin Collins, a linebacker, and J.J. Watt with a calf. As well as, oh, by the way, their kicker, Matt Prater, which is pretty much everybody. Um, the Panthers... Questionable running back Christian McCaffrey. Supposedly Matt Rule is fairly confident he can go. I'm sure this will come down to the wire, to be honest. So keep an eye, if you're a fantasy owner, on your cell phone for an alert whether or not he'll be out there this weekend. Of course, of course, rather, we don't have the luxury of that. We're picking, assuming he's in there. Wide receiver LaVisca Chenault, continuing the injury report, of course. Questionable with a hammy, as well as two on the defensive side. Cornerback Stanley Thomas Oliver and D'And Marcus Haynes. This is a weird one to pick because, you know, there's a lot of, I, as I said before, some years I will go through over and over again, right? And I'll say, oh, well, how did, how did I do when picking this team? What teams got over on me? Who did this? Who did that? Who did I overestimate? Who did I underestimate? Yada, 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 right? Well, considering I was on the Panthers bandwagon, I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt for one more week. I am picking the Panthers to win this ballgame. However, I could relatively easily see them losing this game. Give me the Carolina Panthers to win at home, or else you will see me picking against my sleeper wildcard team. Next, we head to the 425 window, where we've got just two games, which is a little light, if I'm being honest. The AFC West matchup will start us off as the Denver Broncos, led by Let's Ride Russell Wilson, head to the 0-3 Las Vegas Raiders. The host team will still be without Hunter Renfro in this one, battling a concussion suffered in that overtime against the Cardinals, as well as backup tight end Foster Moreau with a knee. Questionable. Two on the defensive side, Rocky Sin and Sam Webb, both at corner. The Broncos going to be without wide receiver Tyree Cleveland, offensive lineman Billy Turner and Quinn Miners, as well as Jonathan Cooper at linebacker and Darius Phillips at corner. Questionable, offensive lineman Dalton Reisner with an ankle and D-tackle DJ Jones with a concussion. I'm taking the Raiders. I, I Somehow, I am not beside myself with the fact that the Raiders are 0-3. And the Oakland... Excuse me. Ah, I'm good for it every once in a while. The Vegas Raiders played well enough to almost beat the Chargers, who I had winning their division, played well enough to almost beat the Cardinals, who last year were a really good team until injuries got to them, and almost played well enough to beat the Titans, who last year were a high seed in their conference. Eventually, this team is going to win a game. If it's not this week against Denver, I don't think it'll be next week against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Are they going to go into their bye winless? Like, I can't see that happening. And for that reason, I got the Raiders winning this game. What's Denver's recipe to success? I would say keep it on the ground with Javante and Melvin Gordon, but as I said, they've been turning the ball over a little bit here. I don't know if that's necessarily the move. Um... I don't know, it, ha it almost has to be, because I don't think they necessarily want to get into a quote-unquote shootout with Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders, because I don't know if they win that. 
Devontae Adams will be the best offensive player on the field, and they have him. Is PS2 going to be able to contain him? That's a big ask, man. I, I don't know. I think that's too much of an ask, if I'm being completely honest. Give me the Raiders to win this one at home. Our next one sounded spicy a few years ago as the Patriots head to Lambeau to take on the Packers. And I think whoever made the NFL schedule was just being funny because they wanted the Packers to go to Tampa and whatever happened there, they then wanted you to be able to compare what Mac Jones would explicitly be able to do immediately against the same team that one Thomas Edward Brady, uh, the GOAT as they call him, was just able to do. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, that is not going to happen because... Oh, by the way, Mac Jones isn't even going to go in this game. Listed as out with an ankle injury, as well as offensive lineman Yadni Kahuste with a thumb and D-lineman Lawrence Guy with a shoulder. Questionable, a laundry list as per usual for a Bill Belichick team. Wide receiver Jacoby Myers with a knee. D-lineman Devin Godcho with a back. Linebacker Raekwon McMillan with a thumb. Corner Jalen Mills with a hammy. And safeties Joshua Bledsoe, Kyle Duggar, and Adrian Phillips with a groin, knee, and ribs, respectively. Packers is going to be without offensive lineman Caleb Jones with an illness and questionable, relatively big one, corner Jair Alexander with a groin. Green Bay should win this one. Huge for them to win that game against Tampa Bay. And here's the interesting part. I didn't really want to talk about the end of that game because I thought it was weird. I didn't learn much from that. I didn't learn... It's. It reminded me a few years ago, didn't Tom have a game a few years ago? In Tampa, mind you, not in New England where he forgot how many downs there were. And, you know, sometimes the older you get, it catches up to you. Now, be completely sarcastic, but I I didn't really have anything to take away from that. I mean, if Tampa Bay makes a play on that two-point conversion, they're still playing. I think this Tampa team is relatively evenly matched with Green Bay when Tom doesn't have his weapons, right? He didn't have Godwin, and I believe he didn't have Julio Jones as well. The tight end position is still kind of getting felt out considering they're moving on from the Gronkowski era. It'll get there in terms of production. For a Tom Brady team, it always does. Um, I think Tampa Bay's better, but it wouldn't shock me because of those injuries that Tampa Bay couldn't get it done, so I didn't really think it was that newsworthy. However, what would shock me is if Green Bay couldn't get it done at home against this Patriots team, which is why I'm taking the cheese heads to bring home the victory. Speaking of the Buccaneers, the matchup we talked about earlier in the episode in terms of potential change of scenery is our Sunday night game on NBC. The Buccaneers take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs are going to be without D-lineman Mike Dana with a calf injury. Questionable, Marquez Valdez-Scantling with an abdomen injury, abdominal injury, excuse me. Uh, D-lineman Joshua Kando with an illness and kicker Harrison Butker with an ankle. The Buccaneers going to be without Akeem Hicks with a foot. Doubtful wide receiver Brashad Perriman with a knee and a hammy. Questionable Russell Gage, Chris Godwin, and Julio Jones, as well as offensive lineman Donovan Smith with an elbow. I like this Tampa Bay defense a lot. I want to make that clear. But if Tom Brady doesn't have a combination of Godwin and or Julio and or Perriman, and it's being generous to put him in there, um, out there with Mike Evans, you know, the guy that was suspended last time. Um, I'm not sure this Buccaneers team can keep up with the Chiefs team that, you know, in week one, they look like the Chiefs. They look great. You could make the argument they're one Travis Kelsey catch or maybe some late first half aggressiveness away from winning the game against the Colts last week. I'm taking Kansas City. 
as weird as it is, injuries matter. And in this situation, I think they're going to flip the game. Give me Kansas City to win this one on the road. Next, we've got an NFC West matchup on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I know that's what you guys want. You guys want more San Francisco 49er primetime football. And they're playing host in Santa Clara to the defending champion Los Angeles Rams. Um, If I'd never watched last week's Sunday Night Football game, I might be picking San Francisco in this game. I, looking at the schedule at the beginning of the year, I thought, hmm, this could be a fun one for Trey Lance because the Rams could put up some points, so Lance is really going to get into a little bit of a shootout. Let's see if he can do it. Let's see if he can make the explosive plays and do this and do that. Obviously, Trey Lance is out for the season. They're back on Jimmy Garoppolo hour, and we've seen Matthew Stafford have a little bit of a propensity here and there as a Ram to throw the football to the other team. That's the X factor here if you're looking to bet this game or if you're looking to pick this game like me, if you're picking along at home. I'm going to take the Rams, but it certainly would not shock me if the Rams laid an egg. Matthew Stafford threw a pick or two, and this game ended maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of like 20-13. to 13. Kind of a gritty performance for San Francisco. Or if those picks get taken back, we could be talking maybe 27-17, to 17, somewhere in that range. Um, however... We'll take Matt Stafford, we'll put some faith behind the defending champions, and take the Rams on the road, but in their home state. That brings us to Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. Let me know what you guys think of how how it is to have Amazon Prime Thursday Night Football. I'm not going to lie, as someone that has Amazon Prime already, I mean, it, it doesn't really bother me. It's just kind of a normal thing. It's not like with baseball, where they have the Apple Plus games. I mean, those kind of bother me, because I don't have Apple Plus. I don't really own Apple products, so I don't have any reason to. Um, it's It takes some getting used to, but I, w- I was having this discussion the other week with one of my buddies, and I was saying, you know, does it ever get to the point, in terms of numbers, sheer numbers, where Amazon Prime is carrying two or three games on a Sunday like CBS would? Because I don't know. I think we might be, that, that might be like a 10 years from now question. Right, that might be a 15 years from now question. I don't know, but it certainly is on the table in the long term. Considering if this service sticks around and this company's got as much pull, you know, and everybody and anybody has Amazon Prime. Well, if they have it, why not let them watch some football? Right? I don't know. Either way, Thursday night football. Al Michaels and your boy Kirk Herbstreet on this one. What? You, you oh, I'm I'm getting word that you like the 49ers Broncos game so much that the 49ers are going to play Monday Night Football and the Broncos will host the Colts in the Peyton Manning Bowl on Thursday Night Football this coming week, week 5. Oh wow, man, that's tremendous. That, that certainly couldn't blow up in the face of the schedule makers. I will say this. This is my hot take, and it's not really a hot take. The Chiefs-Raiders are Monday night football this coming week, right? And Bengals-Ravens is Sunday night football. That's tremendous drama, right? And the Chiefs have already played Thursday night football. They couldn't play it again. I will say this, though. I think Colts-Broncos should have been Monday night football. Why am I saying that? Because you're missing out on the opportunity to have a Manning-cast rendition of a game where Peyton Manning legitimately does not know who to root for, or he will not publicly tell you who he's rooting for. 
Do I think deep down inside he may be rooting for the Broncos because one franchise pushed him out the back door and the other one opened him with welcome with welcome open arms and then allowed him to continue being the starting quarterback as he was getting dragged by the defense a little bit? That's just my opinion. I'm sure there's still Colt fans out there who are diehard Peyton fans that hate Jim Irsay for the way they played that out. And considering Andrew Luck's career was cut short as well, you kind of lost on both ends. Uh, neither here nor there. I think the NFL missed a little bit of an opportunity. Um, who do I think is going to take opportunity by the horns here and win this Thursday night football game? I think it's going to be the Colts. And I think the Broncos are in for a hard one against the Raiders. I think the Colts are in for a hard one against the Titans. I just think the Colts are a little bit better. I do. Well, more than a little bit if I'm being completely honest, but... From what I've seen from Russell Wilson so far, I'm not super-duper impressed. And I think the Colts have the firepower to score more than the prerequisite 11 points that were needed last time. So, give me Indy to start off Week 5 with a win on the road. That'll bring us to the end of the Pick'em portion of this week's episode. Episode number 143 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast. Thanks for joining us. As I always say, if it's your first episode or your 143rd. Glad to have you aboard. Join us next weekend for the following episode. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.